All right, let's get ourselves comfortable, folks, and we'll get started. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O heavenly King, O comforter, the spirit of truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain, and save our souls, O gracious Lord, amen. O Lord, show us the light of thy countenance, and we shall be made whole, amen. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Just for a brief few moments, remind us where we left off last week, because we're going to be doing a continuation today again. Last week, we really looked specifically at the Christian view of time. And what is the Christian view of time? It honestly, none other is, how does God see time? The Christian view is of anything ought to be. How does God see that very thing? And how has he revealed that very thing? And we summed up, even the last couple of weeks, but we went deeper into it last week, we summed it up like this. From the Akathist of Thanksgiving prayer, Glory to thee, who cures affliction and emptiness with the healing flow of time. We are not to see time as neutral. We are not to see time as something negative, the way that the world tends to look at it and separate time from eternity as far as the quality therein. That time right now is of the same quality as eternity because we are in the eternal now. We used that phrase last week. From our baptism forward, we are li- you are living in eternity. I am living in eternity now. And that will continue beyond the veil of flesh and the veil of this world. We look at time as the gift that it is from God for our lives. A means by which that he makes himself very near to us that we can experience him in the moments of our time so that we grow to know him. Remember last week we talked about the the difference, I even mentioned in the sermon again today, that God is love. But him being love, love is made complete by manifesting it towards another. So God eternally is love, but time is the very fabric. The moments of your day, the moments of my day, are the very fabric in which he shares what he is as love with us. He grants us the experience of himself. 
so that we can know him more. We used the example last week of a husband who has love for himself within his wife. But that love is not complete until in a moment of a day, the husband does something for the benefit of the spouse. He does something for the benefit of the wife. All of a sudden, the love that he has for his bride is actualized. It's realized in that moment, and the wife can experience that love and be blessed by it, you see? This is the same way that God is with time. He is love, but he manifests it in the fabric of time. And what we're really striving for as we continue in on this series is what I mentioned last week from that story about Jacob from Genesis in chapter 28, the divine ladder, the ladder story, where he has the vision of the ladder going up into paradise and touching earth and angels ascending and descending. And as he slept and saw this vision and God communicated to him very specifically about his descendants and his promise for Jacob and his descendants. After that whole grand experience that Jacob had, here's what we're after in our own lives. Jacob's response was this. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I never knew it. You know, for me, even as I'm preparing all of these lessons, for me, the desire of my heart is to begin to live with Christ in such a way that I'm surprised more and more by the infinite presence of God near me. That, that in the moments of the day, just like Jacob, the Lord is here, and I didn't know it. Because what happens is once we begin to experience God as he reveals himself in the moments of our life, well, now we know it. And then the next day goes along and, oh, I didn't know he was here in this way. But he's here. And we come to know him, surprised by the presence of God. But my friends, I tell you, that only happens with lives who are wanting and desiring for him to step into moments. Lives that become more attentive to his presence with us in the moments of the day from the most profound Christian experiences like prayer and worship and Eucharist and sacraments and scripture readings to the most mm -hmm. mundane things of the day that we do, going to the grocery store. God, by the way, is no less with me in the grocery store than he was with me when I'm receiving Eucharist. He's with me always. And our lives are to lend themselves to more. Think about it this way. If the moments in our life, the curtain could be, could be throughout our lives, the curtain could be pulled more and more open to where we see all that's truly around us and experience the God who is profoundly with us in the most fleeting moments or what we would consider the most fleeting moments of our lives. I want to give you some encouraging words for the journey moving forward that, you know, for those of us that through this, and I pray this is true, if you have been actively seeking for the Lord to reveal to you where the despondency is found in your life, where you've been spiritually asleep, I trust that he's been beginning to reveal those things. And at first, sometimes when we see the extent of despondency in our lives, it can be a little disheartening at first. You know, that's been my experience. It's like, oh my gosh, look at this. Look at where I've been asleep and you've been wanting to grant me something of your kingdom and, and my salvation in you all along. But a few uh, bits of encouragement for you that time, as we said a minute ago, it's never neutral. Time is never neutral. The question for us in the moments of every day is this. Is time the setting? If we're, are we allowing time to be the setting for the downward spiral of our soul? Or is time, as God sees it, 
are we blessed with time for the ascension of the soul more and more to God? Which, by the way, we were created for in the very beginning. God created time in paradise. In the flow of a physical world, God manifests himself in that garden when there was day and night so that mankind could be with him. And by being with him, continue to ascend in their creation to become more and more like the God who had created them. So time can be that for us, but the answer, whether, lot, whether time becomes a downward spiral or time becomes the ascension by the presence of God filling it, it all has to do with how we view time in any given moment. Are our hearts open, desiring, seeking Him in the moments of our lives? And I'll tell you that just as quickly as we can choose a downward spiral and just how quickly that downward spiral happens in our lives when we get numbed with all the distractions in this life, just as quickly as that happened, even faster the redemption of that time can happen. If our hearts open to God and we experience God in those moments, the, the, the descending spiral can turn to the greatest ascension in the snap of a finger by the presence of God in the moments of our life. Allow me, if you will, I want to read to you just some snippet statements of encouragement about that reality of time so that you can be encouraged at what God can do. Dr. Rokas in Time and Despondency, she writes a number of things towards this. She says, where there is time and change, there is the possibility for transformation. A way out of our despondent prison is available. We must recover this reality for ourselves as despondency constantly convinces us that no change is possible and therefore desirable. And there's one of the keys to despondency and recognizing despondency. If I see my soul slipping in and my emotions, my very being, slipping into despair, you can bet despondency's crept in. It's a great sign for us to watch from. If we get a sense of meaninglessness in our lives, if we get this sense of a lack of joy and we're being robbed of that, if that's the sense we're getting and despair settles in, we need to see and bring before God, where am I despondent? Help me, Lord. It's a good recognition for us. She says, creation was fashioned in such a way that we are never stranded. I love this line. That we are never stranded within our worst selves forever. I hope you get that. It's what I just said about creation. The creation was fashioned where there was time, sun and moon and rotations and days and nights and so on, and that in that setting, man was designed to grow upward, never sink downward. How? By fellowship with God in that setting. By fellowship with God in that setting. We're never stranded in Christ. There is nothing but hope in Christianity if the soul will turn to the God of salvation. In every moment, in every day, no matter how far we have fallen, there's great hope in that. Kent, would you do me a favor and turn that air conditioning up? And we'll get rid Thank you, sir. Here's another one. Second chances are powerful and life-giving because they allow us to recover time that has been lost or at least we thought was lost. Let me ask you a question. How many of you struggle with regrets? Yeah? Thanks be to God. Truth, let us attend. Wisdom. I regretted this recently. 
I regret, no you do. I regret what I was thinking about you when you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> no. T-ball, T-ball. <laughs> Regret's an awful thing in the Christian life and it ought not be. Why? Because God is never, listen to this very clearly, God is in the present moment for our redemption only. There is nothing beneficial to glance and keep focusing on our falling in the past. Even the past we can see clearly in the moment by Christ's help and see things from his perspective, but the moment of the presence with God in the present is always redemptive. But you and I know we look back at our past and all of our mistakes. Where does Satan want to keep us glanced? Where does he want our eyes looking? Either in the past, looking at all of that regret, and in all that, let's call it the, the sludge of our lives, we get trapped and bogged down. It's precisely where we, he wants us to be. Because if we're living there, we are not in the present. We're not in the present. It's impossible for us to be in the present reality of the redemption and salvation of Christ when we are fixated on our falling in the past. Even the church fathers talk about that. The repentance is not glaring at the past, but looking forward at what in Christ I might become yet. That's the church's teaching, you know, to us. She writes, every moment that trickles forth from the reservoir of time is new. And that's how God gifts us with time. So today we want to begin to focus on that very thing. How do we live? What does it mean to live in the present moment with God so that we might experience Him in this way and encounter that redemption and come out of all of our slumber? Let's start by hearing the words of St. Paul from his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God, redeeming the time. This is something that Paul is teaching that steps right into where we are and what we're looking at because redeeming the time is summed up. It means precisely what we've been speaking about, living in the precious moments of our lives and those precious moments only of our lives with God being present, living aware of and attentive to His presence with us, living into the opportunities of the moments afforded to us to somehow behold and experience him and his salvation. In fact, redeeming the time, the word redeeming that St. Paul uses is a Greek word that's a very beautiful word. I want you to hear what this means. It means to make both wise and sacred use of time. Sacred use of time. Now, we often think something we're familiar with. If I say sacred space... We're really familiar with thinking in terms of what sacred space is. It is a space set aside 
for us to be with God and for Him to be with us. When we think of sacred space, we think of the temple in which we worship. When we think of sacred space, we think of the sacred space that we've created in our homes for our prayer life to be the church there in our homes by experiencing God and His presence with us. But how does something become sacred space? It becomes sacred space in two ways. One, it is blessed to be so. For example, temples. I don't know if you know this, but a temple, the consecration service for a temple is exquisite and it's long and it's beautiful and the space is set aside for paradise to be manifest there, for salvation to occur there as Christ comes and celebrates as our high priest the liturgy and offers us mercy and salvation and we offer him ourselves in that environment. So it, it has to be deconsecrated, exactly, before it, or, or if a building sells and, and you move it, there's a deconsecration. So it's blessed, okay? And, and we even know this even in our sacred space. You bring to me icons, and you bring to the church crosses and other things you want in that sacred space so that Christ, through his church, blesses those items to be in that space, enhancing your experience of him. So it's blessed by those things, but equally important. Sacred space becomes sacred space, just like I've said with the icons, only when God's people avail themselves to the God who's there. You see? When we go before God. In other words, when we make use of the sacred space, knowing that God is present, and there is a relationship that occurs. There is an experienced Mutual offering of selves, God to us and us to God. That is what makes space sacred. What made the what made the whole what made the burning bush area? You know, it was called holy ground. What made it holy ground? God was present. He manifested. Christ manifested his presence there through the bush. But something else too. Moses attended to it. Moses drew near. It. And he fellowshiped with God in that sacred space. So we understand sacred space. But we need to add another dimension to that which is truly sacred in the life of every Christian. Time must become sacred. To the Christian, we live in sacred time. There's no question that Christ is infinitely present in every second of our days and our lives. That's truth. Whether we're aware of it or not, that is the truth. So he is there. The question, and this is what makes time ultimately the sacred experience, when our hearts are open to the reality that he is and that he is there in the moments of our lives, now time has become far more than fleeting. Time has become salvific, a blessing, strengthening, healing, mending. I could go on and on with words from the ministry of Christ to us in the moments in time. And if we will meet with God and open our hearts, sacred a time will become sacred for us. Now, St. Paul says, he gives us a number of clues how to live in a life that redeems the time, makes time sacred and encounters God. The first thing he says is, he says, walk circumspectly. And that word means this, live carefully, live attentively. 
You might think of St. Peter's words to us, be sober and be vigilant. That's what it means to live circumspectly, taking note of what's happening in this moment, taking note of what my thoughts are in this moment. Where are they coming from? God, help me discern them. And again, we're talking about time. We're not just talking about our blessed prayer times. We're talking about our whole existence in time. All of the in-between, the awareness, the, the attentiveness, the sobriety of thinking and presenting ourselves to God. St. Paul goes on to help us fully understand walking circumspectly to redeem the time when he says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always to all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about this, do not be drunk with wine. Yes, he is talking about actual alcohol, but the fathers teach all with that that he's also talking about our spiritual drunkenness. When we give ourselves over to What's the word I'm looking for? The, the, the cravings that move us to things other with God, and we start to fill ourselves with those things other than God, and they make us spiritually drunk, which is less aware. A person who is drunk stumbles about. A person who's drunk can't find his way. A person who's drunk doesn't act like his true self. He diminishes in his actions. He loses his self-control. The same thing is true with someone who's spiritually intoxicated, having been drawn into all of these other things that Satan wants to throw at us that's available in this world to get spiritually drunk on that denies us the moment with God. And we stumble about, and we don't see clearly, and we don't behave like our true selves. You see? St. Paul is drawing both of, the, both of those things because in spiritual drunkenness, in the spiritual drunkenness of our despondency, it works completely against our ability to redeem the time by being present with God in those very moments. When we're spiritually intoxicated like this, we are overindulgent in consuming other things, and on, we become less aware that our Lord is with us. We're to live circumspectly, soberly, intentionally, with great purpose towards God. As with any relationship, the other day, my wife and I were walking, and she accused me rightly of something, that sometimes I, I zone out when she's talking to me. <laughs> Shut up, man. I know y'all do it, too. I regret saying that, Chris. But no, I don't. You know, I started thinking about that. The reality is I really try not to do that, but sometimes that happens. I think it happens in every relationship, but the reality is we need to see we do the same thing with God in our lives. That we go about our business, and he's right there the whole time, but we're zoned out from him because our minds and our thoughts are wandering, and they're, and they're going to all these other, other, other things that are far less worthy of our attention far less beneficial to our souls and our minds and our emotions and even our bodies that we attend to those things, which is why St. Paul gives us that example of one filled with the Spirit rather than the spirits, and by that I mean not only alcohol, but the other spirits that are constantly after our soul. 
He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You sit there and read that. Did it ever click in that that can actually be done? Let's take, for example, even with our communication, our fellowship in this parish, when you're just sitting out talking to one another, it's okay to talk about things in life and catch up. But are we encouraging one another in the Lord? Are we sharing our spiritual struggles so that we can grab Christ through one another and be strengthened by one another? Are we singing spiritual psalms to one another? Are we praising God for what's going on in each other's lives? You see, as a community, that's how you fill life with God. That's how you fill the moments with God. And the things that are not worthy of our discussion that distract us from God, and there are many things that creep into our conversations that don't do one blessed thing that's beneficial to our souls, we let go on and on and on and on. We're distracting one another. We can pour Christ into one another. We can live in the moments even as a community in that way. And that's what he's saying when he says singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord in a community, but also on your own. Keep God before you. Keep God before you. Even with what comes out of our mouth from our hearts, keep God before you. I want to talk about two ways to experience God, not the only two ways. I'm just going to mention two ways to experience God in the present moment of our lives. And before we get to these, we need to expose a great lie that has crept into various cultures and various religion and has even crept into many Christian, or I should say much Christian thought outside of our faith regarding what it is to live and how to live in the present moment with God. And that lie is this, that the way to peace and contentment, the way to survive the sufferings and turmoils of this life, is to peel oneself away entirely from life and empty your mind. That's the path to peace. Empty your mind of all those thoughts and all of those even horrid thoughts Empty yourself in this present moment of all your anxieties, the thoughts that are keeping you from, the, from peace and bringing about all this depression, despair, and anxieties in your life. Empty yourself. Let your mind go to nothingness. Let it go to nothingness. In fact, this is the, this is the mantra of many Eastern religions with such ideas of transcendental meditation. It's all about coming to nothing. That's the path of peace. I say that with a little inflection so it sounds humorous, but that's that faith. They really believe. They have been deceived to believe that emptiness is the answer. My friends, their very despondency has been creating emptiness within them all along. Emptiness is not the answer. You see? The peace through healing, peace and healing comes from emptying yourself from the toxins of your thoughts. Now, we believe in getting rid of toxins' thoughts. You know, there's no question. And this has crept, by the way, I've seen many Christian books that have come out outside of our faith that would teach the same thing with spiritual disciplines. That in prayer, get away and empty yourself. Come to nothingness. It's crept into a lot of Christian writings and teachings. But true Christianity, the reality is it's the polar opposite of this. We are not to empty our thoughts. Our thoughts in the moments with God, our actual thoughts are to be transformed by the real presence and ministry of Christ to us in the moments of our lives. 
It's not an emptying, it's an encounter. You can't encounter nothing. Sounds funny. You can't encounter nothing. Let me read to you from Saint Theophan, the recluse, speaking of what solitude with God really means. Solitude is not a mere vacuum, he says, nor can it be gained simply by creating complete emptiness in oneself. When you retreat in prayer within yourself, you should stand before the Lord and remain in his presence. To stand face to face with God is the salvation of man. I love that. And that goes so opposite of what all that other teaching, come to an emptiness to find peace, come to Christ and the experience of him. Let him fill the moment you'll find peace, not by some emptiness, which is fairly weak when you think about it. Dr. Rokos in the book, she paraphrases and teaches a little bit more. St. Theophan's message, in the light of Christ, reality consists not of emptiness, but of fullness. Christ descended into Hades through the cross that he might fill all things with himself, even hell itself. The resurrection of Christ was also the resurrection and filling of all things. Time is no longer the harbinger of death. It's been conquered, or rather resurrected, to its prototype, eternity, to live in the present. For the Christian is to dwell in this fullness the present is less a duration of time and more a state of being, of relationship with God. One that's not measured by clocks or ascertained by the mind, but by the very experience of God in the moments of our lives. The problem. Satan is so determined to distract us from that present moment. Why are we so eternally and easily distracted by him to go to spiritual slumber and despondency rather than embracing Christ in the present moment, particularly present moment filled with him? And I want us to consider this. Archimandrite Miletios Weber, he talks about this very problem. Why, is it, why are we so easily distracted? He says the mind prefers to work in the past or in the future since these dimensions are both actually construct of the mind's own workings and thus the mind can control them. The present moment, however, is completely outside its control and therefore completely ignored. There are a lot of people, and I want to say this, it may be me in some of the areas of my soul, it may be you in some of the areas of my soul that are afraid of God in the present moment. You say, well, that's kind of crazy. No, it's not. It really isn't. Every human being, one of the greatest fears we have is the unknown. And I promise you this, that God in the present moment is the unknown. And when God reveals himself and manifests himself, there is both joy, healing, relief, but there's some discomfort with it too. You know, I've told you so many times about the Isaiah experience that when Isaiah has that profound vision of God and he sees God clearly he has some discomfort in his own soul that he's not like that. In a way, the horror of who he is compared to who God is. And he confesses and he repents and he finds healing, but it's all of that. 
Control is always based on fear. Control comes from a broken need because we've suffered in some way. If we grasp control, we feel safe. And there's the key word, the need to feel safe. You know, my mind goes back to C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in his Chronicles of Narnia. And the character Susan, when she sees Aslan, the Christ figure, for the first time and sees he's a lion... Her response is she asks her friend, Mrs. Beaver, is Aslan safe? Mrs. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. But he's good. The term safe itself, we need to recognize something. The way we use it, the way we feel about it, the way we think about it. The term safe itself is warped by our definition of the very word because, again, we tend to define what we think would be safe coming from our brokenness and our hurts and our pains that are self-protective. So even the word safe, we may not be so sure about what that really means in truth. Because if we don't think it's safe to have a grand experience of Christ, if we're afraid of that, then we've got a warped view of what's safe and what's not safe. In fact, one of the greatest questions that I would actually send you guys today when we're done today, one of the greatest questions that you can go and inquire of God in fellowship and prayer is this, Lord, why do I still fear you? I'm not talking about in the healthy sense talking about the fear that keeps me needing to be safe by focusing on the past and the future and never in the present moment. Why do I still fear you? What is broken in me that is so scared of coming before you? It's a great question. And I promise you this, if you start asking Christ that question, he will show you. You know, I think that we've been indoctrinated in our society to believe that we get serious about God as Christians He's going to ask of us things we don't want to do. And, and he will, but what they don't tell us is that he'll give us the desire to do it and the pleasure in it. Mm. And that's something we have to learn in the Christian life by entering into it. So mm. we're all, we, I think most of us come into this fearful of what this is going to cost us. Mm. And, and so we approach it from that fear and that, that unwillingness to give what is required to have yeah. all the joys of it. Yeah. And that Very good. fear that we won't meet the mark. Yeah. Which we don't, but that's not the starting point. And we, and we never will. So when can we get over that one, right? I mean, we all struggle to, though, don't we, Kathy? Of course. Want to be a success. In whose eyes? Very good. Very good. You know, one of the answers to the question of how do we, how do we experience Christ in the moments and reconfigure ourselves to experience Christ in the moments is a, there's a word that the church fathers say it's nepsis, okay, and what that basically means is what Paul's talking about regarding living circumspectly. Nepsis is to live a dedicated life, intending in the moments, no matter how busy we are with all the things that we must tend to in this life, that God knows we must tend to in this life, that even in those moments, in the recesses of our mind and heart. We take a break and, and just remember God is with us. And sometimes that can be done as simply, we talk about all the time doing the Jesus prayer, but we got to understand how practical the Jesus prayer becomes. 
It's not just a mantra. If I take a moment in my workday, when I'm mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, whatever, to just take a second and go, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon me. I'm a, that is a prayer, bringing something of my soul to God and, and giving, granting God an opportunity to give divine mercy in that moment. It's not about a saying. It's about an opening of a door that God can step into. And so nepsis is that being attentive in that way to God. This is what the fathers talk about. Walk, living circumspectly, diligently, soberly, aware, attentive, attending our souls to God who's wanting to attend himself to us in all of the divine moments of our lives. There's one other way too. There's many other ways. But the other way I want to mention today as far as experiencing God in the present, I want to read to you an excerpt an excerpt from Metropolitan Callistos Ware, who recently fell asleep in the Lord. An excerpt from an essay that he entitled, and I love the title to this because it has everything to do with what we're talking about. The title of the essay was Time, Prison or Path to Freedom. And I love that title. Let me read to you his beautiful words. He taught the meaning of time is to be found in relationship with God, in personal communion with him, and in response and openness to others. Time is not to be interpreted merely in private terms as a reflection of human limits and a restriction on our liberty, but it is a positive expression of what it signifies to be a person, an indispensable precondition of human freedom and love. At the incarnation, eternity transects time in a unique manner. Yet each moment of time is also open to eternity. Each moment it is possible for eternity to break into the temporal sequence we go through, assuming time into itself and also transforming it. Eternity is not simply outside the moments of time, but at the heart of every moment. And this eternity, present with time, gives to time its true meaning and its true value. True time is living personal, measured not by succession but by intention. It is the vocation of time to be open to eternity. Time is filled with, with, excuse me, time is fulfilled when God's eternity, God's action breaks into the temporal sequence as happens supremely at Christ's birth in Bethlehem and happens every Eucharist. Beautiful words about the eternal and healing flow of time as God has redeemed time himself for us, that we might join him in redeeming time. But I wonder if we caught the second path to experiencing the healing flow of time. He said the meaning of time is found in response and openness to others. Well, we need to grow in the awareness of God who's within us and always be right here with us in the temple of our own soul. When we're praying, when we're spending time with God, it's never devoid of the opportunity to encounter Christ through relationship with another, whether they are Christian or not. God can manifest a moment for us to experience Him in every relationship that we have. Let me read to you again from Time and Despondency on that. She writes, Sometimes the present may consist of a person, a child who needs caring for, 
an isolated individual seeking community, or a coworker who insists on having a conversation before we've had a chance to have our third cup of coffee. Sometimes we may be the person in need, learning lessons of humility, having God revealed to us, and needing love as we depend on the graciousness of others. Adam and Eve were created community. When Adam was created by God, and again, I always joke about this, dare we think that God didn't know already that it wasn't good enough for Adam to be alone. Of course he did. Even though he, we see it in Scripture, God saw that it's not good for Adam to be alone. See, Adam was placed in the garden and could have direct fellowship with God. But it wasn't good that he was alone. So he provided Eve, instant community, so that God might be experienced together in their relationship with him, but also together in their relationship with one another. Experiencing God with God right with us, experiencing God who's present in those around us. Let me ask you to think about this. How open are our minds and our hearts when we go through each day that every person around us could be a potential experience of God that I need to have? Are we even thinking that way? If not, I encourage you to start looking around. In other words, let's take the relational blinders off of all the busyness of the day because you never know when God is going to see a person in need that he intends for you to manifest provision for, whether it's emotional provision, mercy, financial provision, you name it but also be somebody that may come to you that you weren't expecting that God intends to manifest himself through for your benefit. You know, I think I remember telling you guys that, and this, is, this has happened numerous times, but, you know, I told you during, during COVID, when, at the very first part of it, when everything was really, really the most shut down, you know, I, I was walking through Walmart, and I wasn't in my clerics that particular day, and I was walking through Walmart, just going through, getting the stuff I needed. What I was really doing was hunting like crazy for toilet paper like everybody else, but we'll get to that in a minute. That was the biggest crack up. Anyway, we're not even going to go there. I remember I found, I, found, I found a roll one day. This wasn't the same day. I found a roll of four. It was actually there, and I got it. And I went and put it on my mantle over the fireplace. I took a picture of it like I'd hunted and bagged something. And I had a friend of mine text me. I sent the picture out to him. He said, wow, a four-pointer. <laughs> but I was in Walmart in this particular day. And um, I saw a woman who had this big load of groceries um, and a lot of baby stuff. And she looked so incredibly forlorn and lost. I could see it all over her face. And for whatever reason, my blinders were off, and I was actually seeing it. And so all I did was go over to her, and I said, are you okay? I was there for 10, 15 minutes while we, she just kind of unleashed all the, the tough things going on with her having a new baby and going through COVID. and going, I, I didn't talk hardly at all. We don't have to talk hardly at all. All I did was see somebody that was hurting and ask how they're doing. These are the types of things that I'm saying, if we'll do, God will show us things in other people, and we will experience him. Part of redeeming time is not only to experience one-on-one -on -one with him, 
but the experience and the community of all on this planet that are around us all the time where God wants to manifest himself and show us how near he is to us. Does that make sense? Okay. Very good. Any questions or, or thoughts as we close? Very good. Let's stand. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, and forgive us who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all.